Okay, welcome back to the Vichy P podcast. Today we've got an absolute cracker of a guest, and we're delighted to say we're joined by Katie Archibald. Hello, Katie. Hello, thank you for having me. Uh, Katie, of course, is a, a great British cyclist, um, current Olympic gold medalist, um, and we're also joined by Mr. McHugh. Hello, Mr. McHugh. Evening, how are we? All right? Yes, very well. Glad to be back at work. Well, maybe Friday tomorrow. Indeed. Um, in other news, we're joined by current advanced hire candidate and active skills captain, Eve McFadden. Hello, Eve. Hi. It's a very, very swanky um, couch you've got there. Looks nice. <laughs> <laughs> um, Mr. Johnson uh, has had a baby last week, so massive congratulations to Mr. Johnson, who would usually be with us. Yeah. Um, yeah. So just a wee, a wee shout out for him. Um, so I'll kick us off today and I'll start off uh, question number one. Uh, Katie, what have you been up to recently in terms of lockdown? How's it been for you? Yeah, how's it been? I um, Yeah, so I have just travelled down to Manchester last week. Um, I don't know if you saw on the news or all the headlines saying, whatever you do, don't come to Manchester. Uh, stay away, right. please. Um, yeah. But uh yeah, so I'm staying. I'm staying just a little bit outside of Manchester, place in Cheshire. But this is where the um, the national programme is based down here. So yeah, um, it was kind of in the the diary that the the national cycling centre is operational again. Um, it's all very uh, what well, it's all social distance. Um, it's it's only us that's in there. Uh, it's quite a yeah. It's a really bizarre experience. But that's um, that kind of feels a little bit for me like a big step out of lockdown. I know that. Um, you, well, you're talking yourselves about going back to work and so on. Uh, I know the, the yeah. kids will be thinking about going back to school. And yeah, yeah it's all these uh, these firsts are happening now. So it's, it's quite fun. You might yeah. have, you've had a few jigsaw puzzles, Katie. Is that right? <laughs> um, only one was enough to crack me. <laughs> yeah, I got, um, uh, I got in the same trend as everybody else, but it took so long to arrive. And then it turns up fully formed and I had to go through the process of breaking the jigsaw to pieces before I could even begin. And that really oh, it was a mental blow. That's what it was. <laughs> yeah, I'm not, I'm not one for, um, actually I am one for sitting in the house all day. I'm just not one for sitting in the house doing jigsaw puzzles. I tried. It's not for me. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> Excellent. Um, so Katie, I'm going to go into your school career now. Um, so can you tell us a wee bit about your, your school career, kind of primary school and secondary school? Yeah, okay. Um, uh, yeah, so I suppose from a sporting context, um, when I was in primary school, I was a, I was a swimmer. So that was really the, the dominant sport of my childhood. Um, and I, well, <laughs> everyone's favorite thing about swimming is that um, to get the pool time, we go in before school and after school. So it wouldn't be uncommon that I'd be training in the morning, seven, so, uh, six till half seven actually oh jesus did we really get up that early um six till half seven <laughs> um yeah off to school and it wouldn't yeah as i say it wouldn't be uncommon to then on that same day be coming back out for a session in the evening um and to be honest I'm, yeah it was probably more through senior school that that really ramped up um when i was in primary school I really was i was doing a bit of everything um like i tried uh, uh i did gymnastics trampolining a bit of ballet when I was really young um I was 
I started playing hockey. Um, started playing at the Western Wildcats. They're based around. Yeah. Um, do you know where that is? Yeah, yeah. Guy. yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. So I grew up in Mogai. Um, yeah. And yeah, just really a bit of everything apart from. I mean, schoolwork also. <laughs> I was going to say everything apart yeah. from schoolwork. <laughs> schoolwork. Say that again. Sorry. Just a, just a bit important to school work. Oh, sorry. Yeah, that was a stupid part not to hear. It's very important. It's very important. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, I think when you're a, a kid, these things, they all sort of uh, talk along with each other. And I, I, I don't think I ever spent much time reflecting on what I was spending my time doing. You just sort of, um, you get dropped off places by your mum and uh, yeah. don't think twice. Yeah. Did you, did you stay on until fifth year, sixth year? Or did you leave earlier than that? Yeah, so... Um, no, I, I stayed on, I, I did sit here. So I went to Glasgow Academy for my senior school. I stayed there until right. fifth year. And then I did yeah. um, my sixth year at Douglas Academy. So that's back home in Mogai. Right. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, um, I ended up uh, by my final year at school. So I, I um, funneled into languages by the time that I was, I, I guess by the time that I knew what I wanted to do which was really only just by the time that I was picking my subjects in sixth year. Um, and uh, but clearly it's, it's not what I'm doing now, so I don't know exactly what that says. Um, but yeah, by the time I was in sixth year, I, was, uh, I had taken French, Spanish, English, and Latin, um, all at different right. levels. So like Latin was a new one. Um, I, I really wish I hadn't brought that up because I know I don't know anything about Latin now. <laughs> um, but I did advanced French, advanced English, and I crashed standard grade, not standard grade, sorry, higher Spanish, because that was what I wanted to do at university. I wanted to do languages. Yeah. How, how did you find the balance of your training at that point? Obviously, with the school work. Yeah, so um, I hear stories from my teammates of um, the stresses that they were going through and the amount of schoolwork that they missed. Um, or the like the early morning sessions and things like that. Um, but I, I wasn't as serious as my now peers when I was at school. So like I said, when I was younger, I was a swimmer, but um, you, you find that there's this massive dropout of girls in sport between about 13 and 15. Um, it's something like a, a third of, uh, a, a third more girls and boys stop playing sport when they turn 13. I, I can't actually quote where I know that from, um, but vaguely that's the, that's the notion and I'm sure it's something you're familiar with. But um, yeah, I, I was no different. So I was really serious about swimming. Uh, uh, when I was 15, I stopped and um, I quit entirely. I'd been sort of petering out. Um, I kept playing hockey and uh, my bike was my means of travel, really. Um, it was my means of travel and it was something that I did with my family. My dad was really into cycling. Um, we went we went on cycling holidays. We would have trips at the weekend, that kind of stuff. But it wasn't, it wasn't a competitive outlet for me. Um, really until I, I started racing when I was 16 and I started really racing every weekend when I was 17. Yeah. But it meant that through that sort of teenage period, I was doing what every other teenager was doing of um, stressing about my social life. Uh, what I looked like, um, which it, I mean, that sound, sounds inane, but it, it took up a lot. It took up a lot of my time. <laughs> um, um, and so, yeah, so that, that same juggle that I see or that I hear from, um, like I say, like my, my teammates now, I wasn't as conscious of, I don't think. Um, I, I probably was, in a way that I'm not proud of, I probably was prioritizing um, my, 
my social life above um, my uh, both my sort of competitive outlets and my academic outlets. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Uh, see, see when you're at school, Katie, was, was there a favourite subject? Obviously, expecting you to say PE here. Um, <laughs> but did you have a particularly favourite subject? And was there an MD at school that was a kind of particular role model for you? You won't take it personal if I don't. I, um, <laughs> I, did, <laughs> I did standard grade PE. Um, I never took it to higher. Uh, back, back in the olden days, back in the standard grade days. <laughs> <laughs> oh, of course, yeah, back in the standard grade days. Um, my favourite subject, subject was English, really. Um, and that's what I wanted. So I sort of mentioned that I wanted to do languages if I went to university, or the, the place I had at university was studying languages. But um, I never felt that... I honestly, I just didn't think I was smart enough to take English to a higher level. Um, yeah. I like to write, I love to read. And I, I think just the the... Um, the peer group that I was um, friendly with by the time that it came to applying to universities and so on. Um, well, my, my closest friend ended up going to Cambridge University to study English literature and left oh. with an A star or something like that. And so this was like, this was the person I was comparing myself to of going like, oh, I can't, I couldn't possibly do that. <laughs> um, and that's, that's kind of how I fell on the more practical outlet thinking you know like languages take you places there's there's loads of careers that um having a language degree opens doors for uh and that's yeah that's why i settled there but my my passion was always um always with writing hey excellent yeah um yeah sorry um so you, when you you obviously mentioned that you were at school um and perhaps new college or university did you have any part-time jobs at that point that maybe sort of helped you and your yeah um so when i was younger it was in the in the summer times i'd work in my family business but my family business the the family business not my business um but uh the only part-time job i had when i was actually still at school i didn't get until i was in sixth year um and when i had so much more time so i was a a bikeability instructor um oh yeah i volunteered at uh i volunteered at place which was at the time called the the bike shed it's now um called bike for good and so the the their charity that take in bike parts um and run uh what they used to call uh byob which is bring your own bike these um sort of tutorial (laughs) mechanic lessons um and basically just try and try and um make cycling more accessible by giving more people affordable bikes and empower people to to be more confident in um, fixing their own bikes again to, to make it more affordable. Yeah. Um, sorry, so I volunteered there, but they also um, they trained me as a bikeability instructor, um, and so this that was my my part time job. It was funny because um, a lot of my friends, uh, like from when I was a swimmer, the class at one was that they'd go and become lifeguards, and it's kind of I don't know. It's funny the the hobbies I suppose you get into as a kid. Eventually, you start going like, how can I make money out of this? So, <laughs> Where, where can I get the cash with this this skill set that I've got? Um, so yeah, I think the 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 work that I did in the family business. So that's um, it's a bed shop. Um, people always mishear me and think I'm saying bike shop because it would make more sense. But um, beds, beds and bedroom furniture. Um, um, Katie, Katie I, I'd been told that your family have got a, a bed shop. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm currently moving house. Mister Mc, you notice it's coming here. I'm currently moving house. So. Uh, I've got a couple of rooms needing some beds, so if I speak nicely to you, we get a wee discount in there. 
Oh, for sure. It's um, <laughs> Archer's Sleep Centre. That's the name of the name of the show. Excellent. There you go. I don't Super. know where your closest would be, but they're about. There's quite a few. We've got like I think it's nine nine shops in the central belt of Scotland. There's also yeah, a website. I didn't know the door would open so wide for a plug for Archer Sleep Centre. Just the end, just the interest, E. Have you got a part-time job now you're in six year? No, I've not got one yet because last year was so busy as well. Oh, right. Katie's telling us she had a part-time job. You maybe need to take a leaf out of her book. <laughs> Oh, that's a misquote if ever I've heard one. <laughs> <laughs> um, obviously, before you uh, ask our first question on your professional career, could you tell us how you, your journey sort of into cycling and how okay, that yeah. came about? Yeah, so, um, right, brief version. So, uh, I am a track cyclist. Uh, um, I am, for all intents and purposes, uh, so I'm a track cyclist that's funded by national lottery players so the the um uk sport program is entirely funded by um national lottery players so if you buy a lottery ticket you you are the person that um funds the olympic team um uh, i've also been a professional cyclist on the road um, and that's more of a sort of commercial commercial setup um and um yes sponsor driven and so on so uh but my entry was through British cycling um, and UK sport and that's kind of how I ended up um, going full-time as a cyclist uh, and that happened when I was 19 years old um, and that's how I ended up gravitating to Manchester and where the National Cycling Centre is um, but uh, I guess the the important part I don't really know why I started there but the important part is how I actually got into it was um, uh, racing the Highland Games and um, so grass track racing and yeah, um, yeah so it's not not incredibly similar to the racing that you'll experience on a velodrome but it is on a fixed gear bike um and the the key i think for me is that it, it's handicapped races um my my dad was a runner and so that's how he was familiar with the scene and how he had, he'd ended up saying um you know some of these highland games they've got they've got bike races on as well and um, mogai and Bersen highland games doesn't which has always made me sad <laughs> but um loads of loads of highland games have have bike racing but a minute i was turning up as a um, as a as a teenage girl racing against loads of middle-aged men but getting a big handicap big head start and actually ending up winning some of these races which meant really on I got this taste this taste for what it was like to win um, unfairly uh, cheating in some senses <laughs> but uh, it definitely kind of gave me that bug um, to, to take it to the next level and um, I didn't didn't do anything near as much winning in the years that followed that. Um, but yeah, I ended up having my, my break as it were at junior, junior nationals, um, which was one of the rare occasions where I was racing against people my own age. And um, again, one of the rare occasions where I got to realize like, oh, I'm actually, I may be pretty good at this. And um, yeah, yeah it snow, snowballed from there. Excellent, excellent. Now, yeah. you just got a few questions here. Quite nervous, right? But I'm sure she'll do a smashing job. So my first question is, what is the best part about being involved in cycling? Yeah, um, I'm nervous too, by the way. I'm not, <laughs> I never feel super <laughs> confident for these <laughs> interviews. Um, yeah, the, the best part about, um, about being a cyclist, the best part about being into cycling for me is that I love the speed of the racing and I love the tactics of the racing. Um, 
being a track cyclist is is just the pinnacle for me. Um, road cycling is more popular, really. Just more people watch road cycling. People are into the, the Tour de France, as it were. Um, but just the 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 nuances that go into a track race um, really just make the whole sport for me. Um, more broadly, though, uh, about being a cyclist, what's good is that it's such a social sport. Yeah. I think it sticks in my head more because, like I say, when I was um, when I was a kid and I was swimming all the time, you just well the most social part is when you showers afterwards. Mm-hmm. You, know, you spend like an hour and a half with your head in the water, and then your mum gets mad at you because you've spent an hour and a half in the showers as well. <laughs> um, but you go out on a, a bike ride, and um, what's common in group rides is that we'll go and there'll be say say there's six of you out and we'll ride in pairs and every 10 minutes maybe every 20 minutes you'll you'll move up the line and so you you sort of joke about you go out for a group ride and it's like speed dating because you just you're having these little mini conversations as you go um and it's yeah it's it's just such a social sport i love it one of the one of the things i'm interested in if you don't mind me asking is how, how quick like are they actually going see when you're out in the road like, how fast are you actually going on the bike? Out in the road is um, is a fire different crash. There's actually just recently been a really horrific crash in the Tour of Poland. Um, oh, so I've seen it on the TV. Had... Yeah. Oh, did you see it? Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah, because so that's an example of seriously high speeds because they've got a sprint finish on a slight downhill on a really straight yeah. line. Um, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if, if the top speed there would have been about 70 kilometers per hour. Well... Um, yeah, so and that's yeah, that's kind of similar speeds that we'll hit we'll hit in the velodrome. Um, yeah. But the most simple explanation is so our Olympic event is a team pursuit. Um, we travel four kilometers as fast as we can. Our world record time is four minutes ten, um, and that works out. The, the top speed that we'd hit is about sixty kilometers per hour. Um, oh. Our average our average is around fifty five, um, which comes with yeah. a like a, a dead start. So it's, yeah, yeah, it's all pretty fast. No, no. That's very fast. It's about as fast as my son accused old Pujo. Um, <laughs> anyway, Eve's, Eve's next question. Um, what has your career journey been like? Um, it's funny because every, literally every one of my teammates will sit down and they'll tell you a story and they'll go, I've had a path like no other, you know. You wouldn't believe <laughs> you wouldn't believe either the, the setbacks or the struggles and they'll tell you about somebody that told them they couldn't do it and now they've proved them wrong and um i've reflected on it quite a lot because these are genuine stories and um they are all unique paths and i don't know whether it, it proves that you you have to be pushed back in order to excel or, or whether it proves that um there is there is no one way to do something um, so yeah, so my version uh, was I was um, I wasn't in the British Cycling Development Programs. So British Cycling is a really um, really well developed national governing body. Um, they have Olympic programs that start from when you're under under fourteen, and um, a lot of my teammates have gone through this through this entire program. And I didn't really get on the radar until um, until like I say, I have this junior result as an 18 year old um and it was a year later i did get onto the program so it's not it's by no means a um incredibly alternative path um but yeah i mean the uh 
the support that I have had, the, the, I guess the, the grassroots and the amount that depends on volunteers in sport does make me do a double take to think there's just no way I would have, I would have had these opportunities if I hadn't met, for example, his name wouldn't mean anything, but somebody called Alistair Watson was the first person to show me the ropes as it were at Medibank Velodrome in Edinburgh. Mm. Um, Callum Watson, his son just coached me for fun. Um, I like, I think about what I would have been doing when I was, so he was, he was uh, say four years older than me and just doing it out of the, I guess the, the interest that he had in the sport. And we've just had this conversation about how busy you are when you're at school and your teachers are telling you to get part-time jobs <laughs> and like all these things going on. And like, that's somebody that, that took the time out of their day to help me excel at my sport. And I just, I wouldn't have done it without them. So um, yeah, the journey just involved a lot of, a lot of luck and a lot of help and a lot of people nudging me in the right direction until you get spotted by the right people, really. I think it's back to my back to myself now, Katie. Um, we could be here all night or all day talking about your, your successes in your career, but if you were to pick kind of particular highlights of your career so far, what, what would it be? Yeah, I mean, so it's a question I've been asked before, and it feels really tempting to say something alternative and to be like, you know what, it was this one random race in Colombia where everything went wrong and we saved the day. Um, but it wasn't my career highlights, the Olympic Games. Uh, yeah. I mean, we, we left with a, with a gold medal and a world record. Um, but beyond that, there Can you was... describe that? Can you describe that feeling? Or is it, is it indescribable? Um, so... That feeling uh, of standing so I, on that podium and knowing what you've done? Yeah. Um, the, the feeling, or the most important feeling for me, really, um, as I said, so it's a, the, our, our event team event, four kilometers. Um, it's, uh, we're, we're against one other team, but for all intents and purposes, it's, it's a time trial. Yeah. And the feeling on that final lap when there's been several years <laughs> gone, into, gone into this moment, um, the rounds leading up to that point, even the laps preceding this final one. Mm. Um, and I managed to catch out of the corner of my eye, it was the Americans that we were against in the final. And I could, I could, I could tell that we were up and I could tell that we were about to win. Um, and I think connected to this physical sensation of just going so hard that your legs detached from your, your soul, like from the, the feeling of, of effort. Mm. And, um, I mean, I'm not, I'm not religious or um, I wouldn't call myself spiritual with these kind of words, um, but it was just, I could, yeah, the only phrase I would use is it's like meeting your maker. It was just beyond um, any experience I've had since um, or before then. And really all I can hope is that if, if Tokyo goes ahead next year, that it's something I'll get one more taste of. But uh Really, I, I suppose ultimately what you're saying, or I agree with what you're saying, is that it, it was indescribable. Absolutely. Now, obviously, yeah. we talk about high points, but along the way, we, we have some setbacks. Um, can you recall any particular setbacks you had in your career and, and how that sort of helped shape your bounce back from? Yeah, I mean, so I've touched on this slightly when I'm saying about everyone, all of us with our sob stories. And what I enjoy most is that when we, so when me and my teammates, if we'll reminisce over the games, 
someone will tell a story and they're like, oh, I remember this happened to me just two weeks before and it was the end of the world. And I'll be like, oh, I don't remember because I was, I was also, terrible things were happening to me as well, <laughs> you wouldn't believe. Um, so, yeah, no, I, uh, um, but one like, a relatively serious one is, so Christmas of 2015, so that was eight months before the Games. Um, I, I crashed my motorbike, motorbike and I, um, I tore my PCL, which is a, a ligament in your knee. Um, not as famous as its footballing friend, the ACL, it's always getting torn on TV, but um, important nonetheless. Um, and uh, yeah, you really need, <laughs> you need your knee to cycle. Um, and I was at a point uh, where the, the rehab wasn't, it wasn't a case of like, oh, you'll maybe be set back a couple of weeks. Or like I'd broken my collarbone, I'd broken my wrist. I'd, I'd had lots of bone breaks where I can just get on a turbo trainer. Um, but this was a case where I was told, listen, you can't do anything for four weeks. And then after that, we're going to start you off with walking. And then after that, with like, I, um, it was just so slow, the, the build to get back in. Um, I missed the world championships. Um, so that was obviously a really key final event before, before the Olympic Games. Um, beyond that, the, the mental blow of um, not being, because by, by the time the world champs had come around, I was, I was training again and I was in close. I really thought I was in contention and I just didn't quite make it. Um, and the, the, the realization that I hadn't been taking it seriously, um, that I hadn't appreciated how much I wanted this Olympic medal, this Olympic dream, um, until an injury threatened to take it away is, <clears throat> yeah, something I look back on with a bit of shame, really, because there was a change in my behavior after that. Um, there, I, I did realize there were more things I could be doing um, uh, to, the, to the nth degree. There were small gains, kind of British cycling's made a name for itself as, uh, for touting marginal gains, but um, I, I, I did know that now that someone was trying to grab this out of my hands, I could hold a little bit tighter. Um, and so in some senses, I wonder whether I would have had, I would have been in the form that I was without this injury because the, the scare that it gave me, the, the fact that someone took me off my bike and said, you're not allowed to do this anymore, yeah. Um, yeah. made me double down uh, all that bit harder afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we spend a bit of time, well, a lot of time during higher P, national P, advanced higher P, talking to our, our students about different types of training, um, which obviously Eve would be able to tell you here. Um, no, 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 she wouldn't. She's never done any training. <laughs> What's your like, kind of like training regime like? What's a kind of normal day um, for you? Yeah. So um, the glory of being a track cyclist, I get to do a bit of everything. Um, so I'm riding on the track quite a lot. I do most of my riding on the road. Um, I also do quite a few turbo sessions, so sessions on a static bike, yeah. and I'm in the gym usually about twice a week. Um, the a uh, rule that you'll hear touted around quite a lot with endurance training is a sort of 80-20 divide between general riding and high intensity. Um, it's something I find really frustrating because I'm always pulling my hair out of being like, yeah, so is it like 80-20 of days of the week? Is it um, done yeah. by volume? Is it done by session order? Is it done by... But that's, that's a sort of, that's a really rough guideline between how I divide um, the intensity of, of my week. Um, so... At the moment, uh, part of that 20% um, 
will be a track session uh, after we hang up. I'm on the turbo. Um, and like I say, twice a week, uh, I'm in the gym. And uh, there's really only one session on the road. Um, we'll just use this week as a typical week. There's only one session I have on the road that has uh, high intensity efforts. Otherwise, um, I'm doing a lot of general volume and what we call zone two riding. So the kind of thing where I'll, I'll go out and for a couple hours, I'll try and get my heart rate up to about, well, I mean, it'll be meaningless because um, depending on your zones, but uh, for me, it's about 130 beats. And um, so yeah. that's riding just just on that side of uncomfortable, um, but, but not quite hard. And uh, yeah, it's just, it's the kind of thing that's not inspiring that Nike doesn't make adverts about you just going out, <laughs> going out riding, not really grimacing, not quite smiling, just pedaling away um, for, like I say, probably 80% of the time. Yeah. Excellent. He managed to find time for his grant. Um, away from the training, like, the, what do you do with your, your spare time? Yeah. Um, so UK Sport runs something, uh, a program where you can apply for what's called a personal development award. Um, so athletes on the UK Sport podium program, we get £750 a year to spend on some anything that will develop you. So I know friends, like I've got pals that have, friends that have um, done cooking courses. Uh, um, somebody, um, one of my teammates paid to do her nail technician qualifications. So she, yeah. she can get your gels done in that. Um, and then I know other people that, yeah, I've got other teammates that put it towards Open University. So it doesn't, obviously doesn't cover. It's better if you're Scottish actually, because then um, you can get some of the funding, I think from the Scottish government and some of the funding from this development award. And then I don't know how much you're left paying um, to do open uni. Um, and for me, I spend my extra time writing. So um, uh, I used to have a regular column in a cycling magazine that um, I actually put on the back burner as we ran into, um, ran into Tokyo. And then we went, and then obviously the games got delayed. <laughs> um, so I've put that into uh, a sort of a newer project that, um, I don't know why I brought that up because I was going to be really coy about it. I don't, yeah, so there's something on the back burner. Um, but that's, that's really, that's, that's my main outlet, my main uh, side hustle. I think we're, we're going to get a big exclusive there, Mr. Love, and I think. Another question we've got, that we, we spend a bit of time as well, uh, talking to our students um, about goal setting. And we, we spend a, a lot of time kind of looking at how important that is. Is that something that you do? Uh, and if, if, that, if that is something you do, can you kind of talk us through a past or current goal that you've got? Yeah, okay. Um, do, you, uh, do you use, um, have you heard of smart goal setting? Yeah. Why don't you tell us which Oh no, I would, yeah. I would genuinely listen. I am, because I, I, once upon a time, would have, you're shaking your head, no? <laughs> oh my God. She's obviously, she's all, our teacher's obviously not been that great. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, well, I think, I mean, I, I, I would say that the, the principles of SMART, so um, I guess Eve, chip in and tell me if this is, if I've misremembered, but um, when I was taught it, uh, I focused on um, so specific, measurable, uh, achievable, realistic, 
and time restricted. And for me, yeah. the, 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 the difference between achievable and realistic is that I read achievable as kind of, is it something I can do by myself? Um, like, uh, is, is this feasible in contrast to realistic meaning? Is this something I actually have the talent to achieve? Um, so like, it's all very well to say that, uh, uh let's, so I want to go to space. That's really specific. It's very measurable. Um, but it's probably neither achievable nor, nor realistic. Um, yeah. so, uh, yeah, I do. Um, I was really, really focused on my goal setting when I was a younger athlete and, um, more so now, uh, that, that I'm slightly older, but I had this big dip in the middle of my career where I was getting a lot of, um, support from the British cycling program. And because it was kind of taken out of my hands that now I had, um, a coach that was entirely, um, in control of my program that, um, I had a physiologist that would be kind of testing me every now and then, um, a, a nutritionist that would give me advice on what to eat, um, a strength and conditioning coach that would write my gym program. There was basically, there was so much of my life outsourced to professionals um, that I, I really took my foot off the pedal. Um, and it's, yeah, it's something that um, I feel a lot more confident about now that I've got a handle on it, because I think goals aren't just how you, um, it's not just something that I use building in my cycling career. I think it, it drives you around just your, your life in a bigger picture. Um, yeah, so, I mean, these days, uh, they are quite grand goals. And I, I do want to be um, Olympic champion in the team pursuit. And I do want to be Olympic champion in an event called the Madison, um, which is a, a new Olympic event for, for the track cycling program in Tokyo 2020. Um, and I, I break it down in to uh, kind of what is specifically what is the goal. So um, uh, an Olympic Madison medal. Um, what are the, and then break it down into what are the physical components of achieving this goal? Um, so like, where do I need my, where do I need my threshold to be? What do I need my peak power to be? Um, what kind of, uh, uh, I don't know, um, Jesus, you think I should know this and be able to rattle off on my one. Um, but yeah, just what are the um, attributes I expect of, of the rider that will achieve this goal? Um, and then I go as to how am I going to train that and how am I going to measure that I'm training it properly? And that's, so, so that's the route. So it goes goal, components of the goal, yeah. um, uh, how to train for those components, how to measure that I am training properly for those components. So, so you can basically yeah. check along the way rather than finding out in Tokyo, oh goodness, this is all, <laughs> this is all wrong. <laughs> um, yeah, and that's, that's, that's how I work it. Excellent. Yeah, back to you, Eve. Yeah. yeah, so have you got any advice for young aspiring cyclists and what skills and qualities do you think is important for someone to have to become successful? Yeah, um, my biggest advice for a young aspiring cyclist is to join a club. Um, I sort of gave a nod to that when I said about all of the help that I received. Um, and it, it is when you embed yourself in a community that you realize there's probably people that you want to help and there's people that want to help you. Um, and this kind of symbiotic um, pleasure that we all get from it improves all of us. It's something that still applies to my career now, um, being in a team sport and kind of the, the way that we all help each other 
excel and, and evolve as riders. Um, and I think just being part of a club is so important for that. Um, so important to, to kind of also realize quicker what you're good at and what you enjoy because when you're with other people they'll probably push you into things that make you uncomfortable and you might realize like oh you know now that I've, I've tried that it's actually it's actually really good or now I've tried that yeah, yeah it's horrible <laughs> you know yeah um and sorry, so, so yeah that's my that's my biggest what was the second part to your question sorry uh, what skills or qualities do you think is important if someone becomes successful okay yeah um uh, skills and qualities are important. Um, yeah, I think it is a skill to be able to recognize, recognize your strengths. Because if you can recognize your strengths, you can know how to harness them better and just how to, um, how, how to be a better cyclist and really beyond that, how to be a better yep. sports person probably in any, any other region. Um, and yeah. I guess with that, um, it's probably acknowledging your weaknesses. And if, if you know what your strengths are, you can help, you can use them to help improve your weaknesses, you know? So like, um, for me, uh, I, I mentioned that a lot of my training is going out and doing this volume, this, this zone two work, we'll call it. Um, and that's a weakness for me. I don't enjoy it. Uh, and I just, I tend to go too easy. Um, but I know that if I call up one of my teammates, if I just say to a friend, do you want to meet for one of these rides that they'll push me? Um, and so being able to, to kind of recognize that and use it is, is really useful. Yeah, that's quite interesting. Yeah. Back to me, is it, the finisher? Yeah. This is where we find out the true Katie Archibald. <laughs> Katie, we would like you to choose any five dinner guests and who would he be, and most importantly, why? I cannot believe we've managed that. They were, <laughs> Maz sent me through, she sent me through the questions you were thinking, and I sort of skim read. I saw there's a massive A4 piece of paper, and I was like, there's no way, there's no way we're getting through those. <laughs> I'm not, right, okay, and I, I saw that one at the bottom, and I was like, I'm not even going to think about it. There's no way we're getting to that. <laughs> um, okay, sorry, so my five dinner party guests. Yeah. Um, uh, right, so... Um, I've been saying this one for years and it feels a bit unoriginal, but uh, I'd invite Catelyn Moran. Um, I really, I mean, even as a teenager, I love reading what she wrote. Um, it was probably her that made feminism accessible for me as a, as a youngster. And um, I just think she's hilarious and would yeah. make, make a good dinner party. Um, I'd have David Mitchell. I've always been a David Mitchell fan. Um, I saw him, I, I, went to a, uh, I went to a gig at the Fringe once that he was also attending. It was a Sarah Millican gig and he was in the audience and I took a photo of him from afar. And then only a couple months later, I listened to an interview with him where he's saying about how weird it is when people don't just ask for a picture, you know, when they, when they just, and I'm like, oh God, should I delete that? What if somebody finds, <laughs> finds this picture from like 20 meters away that I've taken a day of it? But I'd have him over. I'm a big uh, Mitchell and Webb fan. Um, I think I would have, let me think, uh, You must have somebody for the second world, surely. No, but uh, that's, yeah, do you know, <laughs> someone from the second world. I get, I get to have them all the time. I'm staying at, um... Have you, have you ever had dinner with Chris Hoy? Um, I've, I've gone on a night out with Chris Hoy, had that. Oh, <laughs> what's he like? Is he good chat? Oh, do you know what? Chris Hoy is such, like, you know, he's a nation's hero. 
he, he actually is. Like, there's, there's this, like this joke that you don't want to get to know somebody that's put on a pedestal. Yeah. And he's, he's just so kind and he's so thoughtful yeah. and he's so considered. And like, I, I, so I, I never had an overlap. Um, he retired after, he retired in 2013, I think. Yeah. And I got on the program just a little bit after that. And so I was never yeah. on the team at the same time as him. Um, but obviously loads of my teammates were and they kind of tell these stories as always this big father figure for the team and um, yeah, yeah, yeah. kind of just a leader, like a real leader. And yeah. in sport, it's a really interesting one because so often authority and ability get really mixed up. So you look up to the people that are winning gold medals, not, not necessarily yeah. the people that are either compassionate or, or like I say, the people that make good leaders. Um, and Chris Hoy was both, you know, he is Britain's most successful um, Olympian, a joint with Jason Kenny, um, that is, does also have all those qualities. Um, yeah. And that's, yeah, that's, that's what I really look up to in Chris Hoy. And that's what I aspire to, you know, that's what I would love to one day be yeah. like, to be successful. Yeah. And also someone, someone in that building that people respect, I suppose. And um, so, yeah, uh, okay. you know what? We'll have Chris Hoy. I'll have Chris Hoy. That's right. He can come. Yeah. <laughs> yep. um, I'll do more. Do more. Um, I will take. Um, to be honest, I'm, it feels really unoriginal because she must be at so many people's dinner parties, but I wouldn't mind having Serena Williams. Um, actually, She's been actually, on a few. She's had a few on the podcast. No, I've changed my mind. Strike that part. Do you edit <laughs> these? Edit that yeah, part out. <laughs> I'll have um, I'll have Billie Jean King. Um, oh, all right. Yeah. Yeah. So we uh, there's I won't go into the details. I, I talk too much, but there's a um something called the UCI Track Cycling World League is starting um next winter. They want it to be. I don't know if the organizers have been watching the last dance or something, but the, the model is aspiring to be something like the NBA. Um, but basically it's a, it's a chance for track cycling to hit this commercial scene. Um, so to speak to someone like Billie Jean King and uh, all the work that she did with um, taking the, the women's, um, women's tour. Oh Jesus, that's embarrassing. I don't even know what it's called. The women's pro uh, tennis tour. What, what is that called? Do you know what that's called? Sorry, I've, 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 um, oh, I've put us all in a tricky situation. It doesn't matter, but the, I guess, the WTA. WTA. WTA, okay, yeah. Yeah, um, that's it. Yeah, and to, I guess, yeah, to hear her advice on that and yeah. how she kind of broke those paradigms would be pretty cool. Um, and then to finish, I will take... Uh, Oh, I guess yeah. Let's have Michael Jordan then. Yeah. We're saying so, yeah. yeah, someone that had it had the system all set up and excelled in it. Someone had to set the system up themselves. Yeah. It'd be interesting to hear them talk about their contrasts. He's been another favourite for the dinner guest question, Miss McHugh, isn't it? Michael Jordan. What a difference! Uh, what a difference a that's true. I mean, we've already seen the documentary. Maybe I don't need him round to dinner. Yeah, I need to think about someone that's not had a Netflix documentary. And I'll get them. <laughs> um, okay, Katie, a major thank you today for joining us. Uh, been been excellent having you on. Yeah. Oh, well, thank you very much for having me. I'm sorry I've um, babbled on at any point. No, we'll be watching uh, Tokyo 2020 or will it be Tokyo 2021, we'll call it, uh, with, with a keen interest. 
Um, so <laughs> just from, from Bishop Rider Academy, the very best of luck. We'll be cheering you on. Brilliant. Well, um, yeah, thank you. And also a big thanks to E. McFadden. Thanks for having me. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think we've got a case for even a permanent fixture now. I think Mr. John Johnson's coaching a sugarly peg, Mr. McHugh. <laughs> she wasn't too, too good at the old smarter goals, was she? So I'm not too sure. Uh, I need to give her a second chance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thanks again for joining us, guys. And have, a, have a good night. Thank you. Well done. Take care. Bye for now. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye bye. How's that leak? Bottom right, I think. I don't know.